The title of the message is, What is Truth and How Can It Set Us Free? What is truth and how can it set us free? Of course, here we are in John chapter 18. So here you have an exchange between the Roman governor Pontius Pilate, who is the chief representative of the greatest empire of the day, the Roman Empire, And he's conversing with Jesus. It's just a few hours before crucifixion. And the issue of truth arises. And in verse 37, just to go back to, we just read, of course, but this is so off the charts. He says, look, I have come into the world, Jesus says, I've come into the world that I should bear witness of the truth. And everyone who is of the truth hears my voice. And Pilate asks the question, what is truth? He asks One of the most important questions you could ever ask in life. Like, let me just ask you, let me ask you, have you ever asked that question in your own life? What is truth? I mean, just like in your own mind, your own heart, it's like, what is truth? You know, is Abraham Lincoln, the president of the United States, is is that truth? Is that the answer to the question, what is truth? Or is that a fact of history? I mean, what is truth? Pilate asked this question. It's It's no softball question, and it's critical that we all answer this question. It can be answered, interestingly. Jesus is saying that he's come to bear witness of the truth. Everyone who is of the truth hears my voice. Uh, Pilate asks, what is the truth? And interestingly, when he asks this question, it's it's like he ends the conversation. It's like the conversation stops and I mean, I don't know exactly what Pilate is thinking and and how he even asked that question. It could be he's he's asking, what is truth? And he's kind of sneering. Or he could be asking that question and he's sighing. Because at that particular time in Greek philosophy, there was no authoritative answer to the question of what is truth. So I I don't know exactly his mindset. We're going to flesh out a little bit of the background of Pilate at this particular time in Greek-Roman culture. But here's what ends up happening. He said, well, what is truth? And it ends the conversation. And then he goes out and he says, look, I find no fault in him. I mean, you're bringing him here. And you actually want to put him to death. I find no justifiable reason that he would be put to death. Here's the thing. You guys, listen to this. We need to go back 2,000 years ago. We need to go back to the Praetorium in Herod's palace, and we need to pick up this conversation. It is so important. We, we need to flush out the dynamics at play, not only the dynamics, but what Jesus is saying about himself. It's absolutely critical. We need to finish this conversation. You know, Jesus said, if you continue in my word, you'll know the truth. The truth will set you free. In John 17, 17, he said, sanctify them thy truth. Thy word is truth. Jesus actually claimed to embody truth. He said, I am the truth. So we're going to learn that actually truth is a person, truth is a plan, and actually truth sets us free. But Pilate asks the question, and then he, he, he leaves. And he, and is he sneering or is he sighing? We don't really know. Here's what we do know. In the context of his day, the answer to the question, what is truth? Well, had been kind of exhausted, it could be said, without any authoritative answer. Pilate was living at the time of history that the golden age of philosophy was in its final death throes. 
Philosophers had abandoned their search for truth. There had been a variety of philosophical systems. Each one kind of shot holes in the other. So the conventional wisdom of the day was that there was no universal truth. There was no unified truth. And for many, this led to despair, even suicide. And unfortunately, you know, suicide is up in our generation like never before. Are there parallels? We want to flesh it out. And actually, some were thinking at this particular time that it's who's in power that dictates what is truth. Whoever is in the power of the day. And of course, Rome is the superpower of the day. And this could explain a little bit how Pilate is sizing Jesus up, um, whether, whether or not he's a threat or not. Because in Pilate's mind, he's thinking, okay, look, you, you brought me this guy who you think is worthy of death, and he's flushing out, he's a king. What kind of king? I mean, do you have thousands of people, you know, on the other side of the Mount of Olives that I got to be worried about? When Once he flushes this out, because Jesus said, my kingdom is not of this world, not saying that his kingdom is not material, doesn't involve people, but he's saying his kingdom is of a totally different value system. I mean, it's a, Jesus is saying, look, I, I am a king, and I'm a king of a kingdom, but it's a different way than you think of a king and a kingdom. No, no, this is, my kingdom does not spread like an Islamic sword of like, you know, you, you know I'm going to threaten people. And if you don't bow, I'm going to, you know, remove your head. No, that's not who I am. That's not what my kingdom looks like. No, no actually, I've come to give my life. I've come to demonstrate the greatest love that could ever be known. And it's like, who wouldn't want to follow a king like that? Who wouldn't want to be in a kingdom, which will materialize one day, by the way, when you have the leaders, the leaders, and we're going to be with our Lord leading in his kingdom on planet earth one day. Can I hear a big amen to that? But Jesus said, the greatest among you shall be your servant. So we are embodying justice. We're embodying love. But once Pilate figures out, um, so you're a king, okay. Uh, but, you know, my truth is might is right. And, you know, power is truth. And I don't see you as a threat, he, 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 he lets him go. But it's very possible when he asks the question, what is truth? I don't, I don't know totally his mindset, but it could have been out of exasperation because at that particular time, no authoritative answer with regard to what is truth. Now listen, you guys, the context of our lives is different than 2,000 years ago, but there's a lot of similarities. Namely, listen, in, in our culture, there's actually no, in, in the mind of our culture, not in the mind of believers, but in the mind of our culture, there's no authoritative answer actually to the question of what is truth. I mean, we live in a time that naturalism has taken root, which is the idea that everything kind of came from nothing. Everything came from mindlessness, which means that the result of that is a mistake, which would mean that you and I are merely byproducts of mindless nature. So we came from nothing, we are really nothing, and we're headed nowhere. And, and this means, therefore, that if there's no creator, there's no moral authoritative uh, answer to what is true. Or as one person said, if as the evolutionary scientists say, 
What our brains tells us about morality, love, and beauty is not real if it is merely a set of chemical reactions designed to pass on our genetic code, then so is what their brains tell them about the world. Then why should they trust them? I mean, our culture is a culture that has been radically, I'm talking about secular culture, I'm not talking about the culture of the church, but our culture has been radically influenced by naturalism, and it spawned a hyper-individualism and relativism, that truth is a byproduct of an individual's imagination, which therefore, in our culture, it's like, who are you to tell us what is right and what is wrong? But of course, anybody who says that, you have to question them, because they are telling you, I mean, how can you question, uh, how can you determine what is right or wrong? Well, who are you then to tell us such a thing? You question the source of where it's coming from. And for someone to say, well, it doesn't really matter what you believe, well, they're promoting a belief in that very statement. It's very difficult to get around belief and to get around some truth claim. And interestingly, in 2016, the international word of the year was actually post-truth, according to the Oxford Dictionary. And it means relating to or denoting circumstances in which objective facts are less influential in shaping public opinion than appeals to emotion and personal belief. In this era of post-truth politics, it's easy to cherry-pick data and come to whatever conclusion you desire. Some would say that truth is, is kind of like a non-reasoned uh, byproduct, that truth is, is more bombastic, it's more, it, it's more experiential, it's, it has to do kind of with religious hyperness and experience, and so you kind of put your mind on the shelf akin to Eastern meditation, which would be to empty your mind of thoughts and reason and things when Hebraic thinking or biblical thinking would, meditation would be to fill your mind with what is true. Are you guys tracking with me on this? And yet here's the thing. It's self-evident to every single person, I think, that what we believe is important. What informs your thinking is critical. Um, it, it impacts your outlook, it impacts your attitude, it impacts how you view the opposite sex. I mean, if you actually think that as you're driving down the street, that that red light, that what is true about that red light means to go. No, the, the red light means actually go. And you think that's what's true about the red light, that's going to be devastating to you and to other people. And, and to say there is no absolute truth is an absolute. To say all truth is relative means that even that truth is relative. And all people make truth claims. The only difference is between those who know it and those who don't. And this morning, we're making some truth claims. In fact, Jesus is making a truth claim, and that's what we want to get to here. Before Pilate, he's dropping some bombs of, of explosive truth, of healing and reality. He's making a truth claim, and it's a radical one. That we have the scripture on the screen, but we just read it, verse 37. He says, look, I am a king, and for this cause I was born, and for this cause I've actually come into the world that I should bear witness to the truth. I mean, what is Jesus saying there? 
Two things, look up there, watch this. He's saying, one, I was born, actually human, right? Born, had a beginning, humanly speaking, okay? But I also have come into the world. So his reference to being born is, is a reference to his humanity. His reference to having come into the world is a reference to his deity. And what he's saying there is, watch this, that he is the embodiment of what is true. He is, he is bringing the revelation of Almighty God. Revelation means knowledge initiated by God. So, so the reality is actually, and as Paul acknowledges this, by the wisdom or by just pure intellectualism or reason, there's no way we could know the truth about who God is in terms of his plan for man. It has to be revealed to us. Are you with me on this? Can I hear a big amen to that? So th- this is like, it's like, no way, I, it's, it doesn't come from within, although Paul would argue that, and we're going to get to this in a little bit, that by the mere evidence of creation itself, no man is without excuse to identifying the fact that there is a creator. Put in another way, how much will Hamlet know about Shakespeare? Only what Shakespeare writes about himself into the play. And Jesus is claiming that God wrote himself into the play of life. That God has come to find us. I mean, just think about this man in Herod's palace 2,000 years ago. Jesus is standing before the great representative of Rome. And he says, I've come to bear witness to the truth. I've come into this world to bear witness of the truth. I was born and I've come down. I mean, he's claiming what? And here's the first point. He's claiming to be the truth. The truth is God who's actually revealed himself. The truth is God who has actually revealed himself. And that's what Jesus is actually doing before Pilate at this particular time. Now, now we're going to unpack this plan like a little bit today and in the weeks that come. But as I mentioned earlier, Paul argued that by mere creation, man is without excuse that there's a creator and there's a moral governor of the universe. Check out this verse on the screen. For since the creation of the world, his invisible attributes are clearly seen, but being understood by the things that are made, even his eternal power and Godhead, so that they are without excuse. Listen, there's a lot we can learn about God by mere creation. There's no doubt about it. Where there's a creation, there's a creator. The other day, uh, I was on the beach, and um, I, I went down to the, near the water, and I, I, I actually saw my name. My name was written in the sand. And it, 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 there was my name. It was Greg, G-R-E-G. And, um, and then it was plus Stephanie. No, I'm just kidding. All right. So, uh, no, it was Greg. And it, it was like, well, that's... That's unusual to see, like, because you don't have, like, winds and waves, you know, communicating in an intelligible manner like that. You say, Greg, what's your point? Oh, actually, the fact that my name was written there, I I actually knew that a human had been there. And I actually, because of it, because it was language and communication, like DNA that was left there from, from, from intelligence, I actually knew who wrote it too. It was another Greg who wrote it. 
He said, what are, you, what are you getting at? No, it was actually my grandson. I was on the beach with him, and he had written it, and he's the new improved version of Greg. He's Greg number three. But I knew he had been there because he left his name. It's like, okay, well, like through cre- in creation, we see God's genius. I mean, I mean, we see DNA, human biological DNA that speaks of intelligence. In fact, Paul would argue that creation speaks of muscle, power, and creation speaks of mind. And therefore, man is without excuse of this reality that we have come from a creator. And he says, if you suppress that, just listen, okay? If you suppress that reality, you suppress that mere fact that there's a creator of the entire universe, your thinking, your intellectual, moral faculties go crazy. He says, because although they knew God, they did not glorify him as God, nor were they thankful, became futile in their thoughts, and their foolish hearts were darkened. And earlier he said, the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who actually hold the truth in unrighteousness. So notice, they know the truth, but they don't do the right thing with it and don't allow the truth to impact their life. Listen, Listen, the wrath of God is revealed. Like, what does that mean? Well, there's natural consequences to the divine order if I step out of original design. If my thinking, and it all begins with my thinking, if my thinking is not according to original design, it has a breakdown impact, not only in my thinking, but in my life, in my lifestyle, and in a culture. The wrath of God is, speaks of the consequence of being outside of original design, outside of truth, kind of like a cell that decides to go outside of its DNA. That's called like a cancer. And you have breakdown. If you suppress even that very revelation of cre- that creation tells us of who God is, that he's a genius, that he's incredibly powerful, that he's a communicator and so forth. So what is truth? Here's point number two. Hey, truth is that the purpose of our life is found in right relationship with Jesus, the king, and in his unfolding plan. You know, Jesus said, I am truth. He said, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except to be through me, John 14, 6. He didn't say I am a truth or a life or uh, a way But the way, the truth, the life. Can I hear a big amen to that? And and actually, he didn't say, I've come to teach you the truth or point to the truth. But he actually claimed to be the embodiment of truth. Hebrews 1 says he's the exact representation in human form. And when Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life, no one comes to the Father except to be through me. Okay, well, like, let's wrap our minds around this. So far, we said, look, God is truth. He's revealed himself. Jesus is revealing the plan of God to Pilate that he is the king of a kingdom that is never going to break down. Pilate asks, what is truth? But he, he stops the conversation there. We want to pick it up. We got, we got to go back and look at it. Our, we got to go back to this, man. This is so important. <laughs> And what we're learning is, oh, the truth is that the purpose of our life is found in actually right relationship with Jesus, who actually is the king, and there's an unfolding plan that's taking place. 
that he is the key to right relationship with God. We have it up on the screen. He's really saying, I'm the way to the Father. I bring you into the truth of the Father, and I bring you into the life of the Father. You know, a lot of times, John 14, 6, when Jesus said, on the way, the truth, and the life, no one comes to the Father except to be through me. A lot of times, Father is seen as a location. The Father is equating to heaven. And, and it, it's true that there's hope beyond the grave, and it's true that there's an eternal kingdom that will materialize on earth and ultimately into eternity. But in essence, Jesus is saying that he is the way into the relationship that God has purposed for our lives If we ask what truth is, well, truth is a person, and truth is a plan, and this plan has to do with having right relationship with with a father. Let me just ask you something. How intimate are you with this father that Jesus said, I'm the way to? And I mean, how, where do you take your pain? I mean, I've asked that question a thousand times to our church family, but please hear me. The truth that sets us free is, is that God actually made us to know him and have relationship with the heavenly father in the son. And that is have an intimate relationship. We're going to talk about this in the weeks to come all the more, but that is a truth that actually sets us free because there's no created relationship. As wonderful as marriage is, There's no relationship actually that can satisfy the deepest longings of our heart outside of having right relationship with the Heavenly Father and His Son. And and that's critical actually to recognize. Because if we don't, we're going to live an illusion that leads to disillusionment in life. Now, it's true. Listen, when Jesus said, I'm the way, the truth, the life, no one comes to the Father except to be through me. Just think about intimate relationship, key to the relationship God has purpose for our life. That's one of the truths that sets us free. Can I hear a big amen to that, right? But but listen, all roads, and you got to hear me carefully, all roads actually do lead to God. It's true. You say, what are you talking about? All roads lead to God. Oh, every human being, no matter what they believe, what they do on planet Earth, will stand before Almighty God and they will give an account for their life. But there's only one way into a right relationship. There's only one way to heaven. And and listen, Jesus is, I'm the king. He's a king of a kingdom. And and someone who refuses the king is not going to be a citizen of his kingdom. It's just, that's just reality. Are you with me on that, right? So I want to be clear, okay, all roads, like no matter what you do in life, the Bible says it's appointed once for a man to die, then the judgment. We all stand before God. Are you with me on that, right? But only one way into right relationship with God. And when Jesus frames this that he's the king, yeah, he's a king of a kingdom that will never break down. And and, and right now, We have, as believers, this guarantee we are citizens because we have his spirit. That's a guarantee we are his now and forever. Now listen, one of the criticisms of Christianity is that it's just too narrow. It's too exclusive. But the reality is that any truth claim, anybody who says, um, you know, I believe, fill in the blank, by nature, it is exclusive. It's some truth claim. The question is, is it true? The question is, is it true? And you know, one of the ways you can um, 
judge. A, a belief is how it impacts a person's life. Like if I'm carrying this belief around in my heart that narrows my heart and I look at other human beings less than created the image of God and I'm just a stinking wacko racist or something, it's not a good belief. Can I hear an amen to that? If on the other hand, I'm holding a belief that actually is challenging my heart and enlarging my heart with love for God and love for my fellow man, that's an awesome belief. Hey, listen, quote Christianity, wasn't called it at the time, exploding from Jerusalem into the Greek-Roman world. I mean, you're talking about, it's like spreading like a penicillin into a very brutal world. And they were tolerant of people's beliefs because everybody had their own God, but they were also incredibly brutal. And it was, a, it was a culture of slavery and it was a culture of oppression of women. So when you have Christianity spreading, it's a monster light. In fact, it, it, it's the light to the nations because Christianity is not really another religion, so to speak. It's just the unfolding plan of God through Israel. And God called Israel and the Messiah of Israel to be a light to the nations. And now in Jesus, he's creating this, this new community, a big, small, black, white, Male and female, this, this like new community of, of valuing each other, loving each other. Hey, husbands, husbands. In, in Greek, Roman culture, followers of husbands, husbands, love your wife, even as Jesus Christ loved the church. Oy vey. <laughs> Whoa. I mean, that's not, that's not lowering the standard of love. That's like elevating at times a billion. Can I hear an amen to that? Such a beautiful thing. And as Keller said, why would such an exclusive belief system lead to behavior that was so open to others? It was because Christians had within their belief system the strongest possible resource for practicing sacrificial service, generosity, and peacemaking. At the very heart of their view of reality was a man who died for his enemies and praying for their forgiveness. Reflection on this could only lead to a radically different way of dealing with those who were different from them. It meant they could not act in violence and oppression toward their opponents. Listen, this needs to just be stated, okay? So it's not fun to say this. I don't have any pleasure to say this, okay? So I want to state it. Watch this. Individuals that suppress the truth that there's a moral governor of the universe, a first mover of all things, an intelligent designer, you suppress that. And the Bible says that, in, that requires suppressing it. Are you, are you with me on this, right? Suppress it. I know it's true, but I suppress it. Out, out of sight, out of mind. That leads to intellectual wackoness. And it results in experiencing wrath. There are consequences that it's breakdown. In addition to that, if someone suppresses the truth, holds the truth in unrighteous when it comes to Jesus, there are consequences to that. Jesus said, whoever believes in the Son has eternal life, but whoever rejects the Son will not see life for God's wrath remains on them. So in other words, they're in a state of continual breakdown. You believe in Jesus, you, you will not perish, but have everlasting life. And, and Paul said that they all may be condemned who did not believe the truth, but had pleasure in unrighteousness. 
Hey, listen, what, what is truth, man? What is truth? I, I, Jesus is, is saying he's the revelation of God and he's the king and there's a plan that's unfolding. And we actually, there's no way to really know and have a relationship with God unless he reveals himself. And this exchange that took place 2,000 years ago it's, it's really good that we go back and we finish the conversation. Are you with me on this? Pilate asks a great question. What is truth? And, and, and it looks, and I can't speak for him, but I have a feeling he's just like, man, I, you know, I don't want to upheaval here. And I don't think Jesus is a threat. What is truth? I just, I, I want this thing settled. But it would have been good had he stepped back in, had that conversation with Jesus. Our generation needs to have this conversation. The third point is, your word is truth. Hey, all scripture is given by inspiration of God. Can I hear a big amen to that? If that's true, then we need to be renewed by it on a daily basis. It's profitable for doctrine, which means what is right. For reproof, which identifies what's not right for correction, for instruction in righteousness, so that the man of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. Jesus said, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. David said, I have hidden in my heart your word. Your word have I hidden in my heart that I might not sin against you. You know, Paul said, the word of God is alive and it's powerful, it's sharper then any two-edged sword, check this out, cutting between soul and spirit, between joint and marrow, which is an incredible statement. So in other words, when I'm exposed to the truth of the word of God and the truth of who God is and who I am in him, you, you have these incisions taking place. Be, interestingly, between the spirit, which comes alive like a spiritual antenna when you receive Christ, the soul, which is the mind of man, and the body, which tells us that man is a trichotomy. Body, soul, and spirit. Like my daughter is taking a psychology class, so I'm going to sit down with her and say, okay, so, uh, Lily, listen, in psychology, you're only dealing with body and soul. So, so you're going to have these guys trying to create a whole narrative based upon really only, only so much evidence. They see man only as a, as, as a dichotomy, body and mind. They don't see the spiritual aspect of man. That's the missing piece. But the word of God actually, interestingly, distinguishes between body, soul, and spirit. And so therefore, like even as we're studying the word of God and the Lord is active in our midst here, um, you have such distinction. You have the Lord communicating with you in a divine way because you're born again of the spirit. Your spirit is alive to the Lord. Something died in the garden and it was man's spiritual antenna, so to speak, but something is made alive when we embrace Jesus Christ. And so it's like, man, I, like I want you to turn to Romans chapter 12. Turn to Romans chapter 12. I, I've been musing on this a little bit this week, and we're going to talk a, a little bit about this tonight, just, just actually because we're going to be focusing in upon our backyard mission and, um, and just make a comment that this actually comes right after Paul identifies this genius plan of God in Israel and through Israel. And actually, after he does so, he gives this, these statements in chapter 12. He talks about the renewal of your mind. Like we need our mind renewed with what, regard, what truth is and how it sets us free. 
And we have it up on the screen, and I'm going to read from the New Living Translation. I'm usually reading from the New King James, but I have it up on the screen, I believe. Thank you. Do we have that there? Thank you, Barbara. And so, dear brothers and sisters, I plead with you. I plead with you to give your bodies to God. Look up here for a second. Watch this. Hey, God is truth. Can I hear an amen to that? God is truth. God is the truth. God has revealed himself to us. If he hasn't revealed himself to us, we have no idea who he is. We have no idea why we're on this planet spinning in space. Jesus is the king. And what an incredible king. Oh, my goodness. I mean, in our world, leaders lord over often. Okay? Uh, Manipulate with half-truth. Not always, but often. The king, man. The king comes and gives his life for us. The king wants the best for us. Thus, king is fighting for our highest good. Who wouldn't want to follow a king like this? And wouldn't it be a reasonable thing, the most reasonable thing, if I know that to be true, that then I would give my, my whole being back to the Lord. Look, so let's look at it. Look, dear brothers and sisters, I plead with you, give your bodies to God because of all that he's done for you. Can I hear a big amen to that? Let them be a living and holy sacrifice, the kind he will find acceptable. This is truly the way to worship him. Well, that's interesting. Genuine worship, like worship that he calls the response that he wants to see, the response that he desires is that we would respond to his love, to his life, and and that we would meet with him in transparency and authenticity, giving our whole being to him. Now listen, one of the truths that sets us free, and we're going to be talking about this in the weeks that come, is that behind every self-defeating habit is a lie that we believe. And and therefore, if there is some, none of us are perfect, but if there's some hang-up, some compromise that we are allowing in our life from giving our whole being to the Lord in worship, body, soul, and spirit, there is a lie behind that informing our lives. Because every self-defeating reality in our life, habit, or action, there's a lie actually behind it that's fueling it. The the truth is that God is love and God is perfectly just. And, and 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 the best thing we could ever do actually is respond to him in totality of worship, body, soul, and spirit. Because he totally loves us and his his love is protective and it's nourishing. Can I hear a big amen to that? So it's like, so the question is, look, the question is, okay, this is not a condition of salvation. This is a response to someone who's genuinely saved. But let me just challenge every one of it. Let me challenge you. Okay, is there anything keeping, anything keeping you from body, soul, and spirit like, Lord, I respond to you in entirety, comprehensively, out of expression of my love for you. Because, listen, if that is not taking place, you're being hung up by, by believing what is not true. Some hang of it's that there's a lie behind that, actually. The truth is that, that God is true, and he loves us. 
He designed us and created us. He knows what's best for us. And, and therefore, continuing with this, it says, this is the true way we worship him. Don't copy the behavior and customs of this world. Let God transform you into a new person by changing the way you think. And then you will learn to know God's will for you, which is good, which is good, pleasing, and complete. You know, Jesus began his ministry with the word repent. Peter began his ministry with the word repent. Paul preached repentance. It's a Greek word that means to change the way you think that leads to a lifestyle change. It's the Greek word metanoia. So let me, let me share with you what it looks like. Like there are times that I'm driving down the street and my precious wife is giving me really good information. And she's just saying, honey, you just missed the turnoff or something like that, right? Now watch this. If I say to her, okay, I know I did, and I keep driving just in the same direction, and she's saying, well, honey, you need, you need to turn around. And I'm like, I, I, I know, I can't believe I missed that. Well, that's a distraction. And I keep driving in the same direction. That's not repentance. I mean, I acknowledged, actually, I'm moving in the wrong direction. But repentance would mean that I, that I get in the left lane, and I make a U-turn, and I go in the right turn. Right, right direction. It means a change of behavior. It starts with a change of difference, change in my thinking, but it ultimately leads to a behavioral change. That's the value. That's where the healing comes. And that's where the marriage improves. Can I hear an amen to that? No, I'm saying. Okay, so that's what repentance looks like. That's a good thing. Hey, listen, we've only just begun. I was going to do this. I, was, I had all these. The fourth point was going to be like the truth sets us free. And yesterday I was talking to my son. He goes, Dad, your message is way too long. Okay. So, and I have, and furthermore, we have eight actually points to make. And we're going to be making them in the week. So I want to give you a little insight before we close out. I mean, what's the truth that sets you free? Jesus came to pay the debt of sin and power over sin. Can I hear an amen to that? Can I tell you the truth that sets you free? God is in the business of taking what's dead and reviving it to life. That is true. That is totally true. I'll tell you another one. God replacements lead to living in illusion and to disillusionment and despair. We got to recognize that's a truth that sets us free. Um, Reality is not based on how you feel, but based on the truth of God's word and revelation of himself. And we can go on and on. We want to talk about it. I want you to come back next week because there's more to address. Let's, let's all stand at this time and let's pray. Lord, Lord, thank you for you. We get it. It's so, such a blessing. Lord, I pray this would be a beautiful season in each one of our lives of our minds renewed. Lord, we declare you're the truth. I know you're looking for worshipers to worship you in spirit and in truth. And we worship you in spirit and truth. And Lord, we believe you're the king. Jesus is the king. And we believe your word is truth. We fully believe. And thank you that truth is what sets us free. And I just pray, Lord, would you continue your beautiful work? I know you will in our lives that at the beginning of this year to be a lot of beautiful freedom taking place and pressing in to experiencing the wholeness that you have purposed for our lives in Jesus.